You're giving away all your secrets, Mike. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's like the chef that gave away the recipe. Oh, man. That someone that, you know, whoever, you know, Chef Boyardee went ahead and <laughs> chef Boyardee. Made the, made the their... only real chef. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> chef Boyardee. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's funny. That is the second time I've heard the name Chef Boyardee today. No, come on. Yeah, yeah. So I'm addicted. Were you hanging with a bunch of uh, you know Uh ninety year old? No, no. It was uh, it was on a podcast. Um, I love ninety nine percent invisible because it's about design, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about Russian. Um, cookbooks and how Russia, uh, because it's a you know it was a communist state, uh, USSR, um, they had come over to America and they had seen you know uh, manufacturing, not manufacturing, but yeah, I mean food manufacturing, um, but you know hamburgers and all these you know frankfurters and things like that, and they brought them back and they industrialized it so that the state could produce it all. Oh, and the uh, the guy who did it, I can't remember his name. He was like a minister of some culture minister of culture or something um and he put his name on like the containers for everything and so they called him the chef boyardee of russia that's, that's where that came from so. see how oh, man forget it i guess i can never work towards that nickname for myself now chef boyardee of russia comrade chef welcome to which game first where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we visit the heart of the world of vegetables in Abandon All Artichokes. Next up, exiled creatures and critters wage a battle to reclaim their lands in Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. And lastly, Amazonians gather to defend their island home of Themyscira in Wonder Woman, Challenge of the Amazons. Our host, Celeste Angelis, is not with us for this episode, but I'm your co-host, Evan Bernstein. And with me are my fellow co-hosts, Mikey Grenier. Howdy ho! Ed Povolitis. Hi, guys! And we have a very special guest explorer this week, Sen Fung Lim. Hey there, how you doing? Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Our first game up this week is Abandon All Artichokes, designed by Emma Larkins, published by GameRight in 2020, number of players 2 to 4, ages 10 and up, playing time 20 minutes. Okay, Mikey, tell us what's on and in the box. On the cover of this oddly shaped box is an anthropomorphic artichoke who looks very concerned for his fate and for good reason as the box makes the request to everyone, abandon all artichokes. Inside, you will find a stack of 100 cards featuring several veggies, including onions, beets, carrots, peas, broccoli, eggplant, corn, leeks, and of course, the much-despised artichoke. And that's what's in the box. Before we tell you if this salad is worth tossing, (laughs) I will provide a quick overview of how it's played. Abandon All Artichokes is a card drafting and deck building game where the objective is to get rid of all your artichoke cards from your hand of vegetables. Each player has a starting deck of 10 cards, all of them artichokes. Shuffle your starting deck and deal yourself five cards to your hand. Yes, the instructions tell you to shuffle your deck of 10 (laughs) artichokes and deal yourself five. Five community vegetable cards are turned face up. On your turn, draw one of the five vegetable cards into your hand. You can then choose to play it. Just follow the instructions on the card. 
Each type of vegetable has an action associated with it. For example, play a broccoli card to compost one of your artichokes in your hand. Once played, a vegetable card goes into your discard pile, but beware, some vegetables also get composted, which means when you play it, it will be removed from the game. Keep playing until you finally build up your deck enough where you draw a hand without any artichokes. Then declare victory and plant your flag of veg- vegetable victory. Yes, plant your flag. <laughs> Yay! Plant your veggie flag. That was oh, for you, Artichoke to the curb. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to start off by saying here that I felt really bad for the artichokes. Like, I, you look at their picture, Aww. you start with all artichokes in your hand. You know, it's two hands full in your first two hands. And they have these expressions on their face of surprise or like sadness or shock. And the other vegetables are super smug. It's despair. Yeah. Despair. It is despair. Despairagus. Like yeah, they're not. <laughs> yes. They're not despair. <laughs> That's the next game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Darn it! I think they missed an opportunity here. Despairagus yeah. would be fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but like if you look at the carrot, he's like, "Wee, I'm a carrot," and the uh, you know the onions like, "Ah, I'm a tough guy." But like these poor artichokes, they know they're just going to get abandoned. Yeah, they kind of do know their fate. But Mikey, if you look at the box, it said right there, it's the heartless card game. (laughs) (laughs) They threw a lot of puns around in here, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, yes. And if you watch this, because we we played it on our Thursday night game, so you can go to our YouTube channel and watch the video for it. And (laughs) we also comment on the chat that was taking place at the time, and there were a lot of vegetable puns. So no shortage of puns with this game. Mm Mm-hmm. Sen, what did you think of the uh, the artwork? What do you think of these cards? Uh, oh, I, I th- love cards. anthropomorphic anything, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> um, you know, it's very reminiscent of games like Sushi Go, um, that yes. kawaii factor that is very, you know, common in Asian art. So being Asian, I like it. <laughs> you know, they, they, they've, uh, you know, they're playing to their, their people here, so that's good. I'm not at all Asian, but yet I still could feel like that feeling of joy when you like look at these cute little vegetables. That form of art, I think, appeals to anybody really around the world. And I just have to give a shout out to that broccoli rock in the shades right there. <laughs> he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's so chill. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think of broccoli as being so chill. <laughs> um, the game itself comes in a tin. Not a bad way of packaging the game. I like I like games that come in unique packaging um and uh, tins happen to be one of those uh, mediums yeah i'm sure the game store doesn't fully agree with you it's a little tough to like put those things on the shelf but uh from what i see game right packaged it so that it looks like a crate of vegetables kind of mm-hmm. like a, a display box for mm-hmm. the top of your uh, table mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty clever yeah unique packaging is actually kind of a divisive thing in in, in product design right mm-hmm. because it does stand mm-hmm. out and it's awesome um, but it also makes it not fun for shelving purposes. But <laughs> one thing that happened to games like, you know, Bananagrams and um, other games like Happy Salmon, because they can't be mm-hmm. stored conventionally, they end up being, you know, put right by the cash register. And that's Correct. exactly where those things need to be to sell. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're wonderful packaging, uh, and, and Game Right does a good job on their tin products. So a lot of Game Right games come in tin boxes. It's kind of their thing. Uh, it's like a little bit of a trademark for them or something. All right. About the game itself. Ed, what were your thoughts about, uh, the actual game within the tin? 
Maybe they call it themselves a deck destruction game. You have to destroy <laughs> this deck, get rid of all these artichokes. But you have to put something on there else in there. The way to win is to draw five veggies, so got to get at least five veggies in there. And is there uh, en- enough strategy in this game to uh, keep things uh, interesting and moving? I mean, early on, I noticed some strategy in this game about the cards that you grab and, and when you grab them. Like, for example, some of them rely on having multiple artichokes in your hand. So early game, those cards are really strong. You can get rid of two artichokes at a time. But later on, when you only have one, it might not be as effective. I mean, I kind of went with a strategy of trying to stack your deck a little bit for me. So for my first game, I was working with the, um, the corn and I think the potato, where they allow you to take a card and put it on top of your deck. And if you do that enough time... You know, draw a bunch of stuff you just put there, you know, on purpose. I think there is more strategy in the cards once you kind of get to play a few times. Each card is very different from each other card. Uh, it's not like a, you know, a Star Realms where a lot of the cards are very <laughs> similar. These cards are all very different in how they react and how they, they mm-hmm. change your deck up. So it was interesting playing through them. Uh, it took a lot of reading, not in a bad way, just in a, in a, in a good way. Like, Hey, how does this actually work? And what's going <laughs> to happen when I play this card? And am I going to win by playing this card? And oh my gosh, I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, definitely. That, that really weird ending that we had was like, uh, right. I did not intend that, but it worked. And mm-hmm. there, there are some interesting, interesting synergies in the cards, um, because of how the game is just different than most other deck builders because it is the entire opposite of that. So wrapping your head around that, first of all, oh, I got to shed all these artichoke cards, those poor artichokes, and then all the cards and looking at the actions of what they do. It was a challenge. It was actually really, really interesting for such a simple game that mm-hmm. it used so much of my brain power to try to figure <laughs> out what is, what are we doing here? What, what is this going to, what is the results going to be with this? So it was cool. I found myself doing like calculations every turn going, okay, now the composition of my deck is like this. So this Mm -hmm. would be more effective to do or combining these two cards at this moment in the game will be strong or even paying attention to what the player next to me had because with the eggplant, you're going to pass two cards to your left. So if you play Mm -hmm. that at the right time, the the other player might be stuck with mostly good cards in their hand and be forced to pass you a couple cards they don't want to pass you. So yeah, I thought timing was really important. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I found is that, especially with the eggplant, when you're passing two cards to the left, it's helpful to remember, if you can, roughly how many artichokes maybe a player kind of has in their deck. (laughs) Um, If if you're good at card counting and can help keep track of that stuff, I think you'd have an advantage at at this game, which I kind of tried to do from the get-go, but I lost Mm -hmm. track very quickly of how many artichokes people had already abandoned. Well, once cards start passing between people, the card counting becomes a little bit less effective. Although having a keeping trying to keep a general idea of what people have is can give you it seems like a slight edge, and, and that's because the game ends suddenly, so you really yeah. have no idea when uh, just about when this game you, you get a kind of sense you have a sense because you have to build the deck up enough to where you right. draw your hand and there's no uh, artichokes left. But it will suddenly end. Sen, you would yeah, refer to that, Mike. I know you would refer <laughs> to that so as well. I was so pumped. I ended up with a perfect hand. I was like, all right, well, as soon as my turn comes up, I win. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like the game is over. And I heard that trademark noise since we played it online. I was like, burr, 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 yes. like that lose noise, you know. <laughs> Board game <laughs> arena. Yeah, the basic sad trombone that you hear on uh, <laughs> on Board Game Arena. Yeah, I think that's an effective board game arena. When you play it, it, 
uh, I love the automation, but it does take out a little bit of the knowledge of the game in a way because mm -hmm. the game is doing so much for you, you don't even realize what it did sometimes. Like, yeah, true. yeah, and it's the next person turn and they won. All right, how That's, did you do that? <laughs> it's not necessarily the best learning platform, but it is really good for organizing stuff. Though. Yeah, yeah. And it's also for speed of play. I mean, and there's just a fiddly game. And it's like, it does all the fiddling for you. Yay. <laughs> yeah. All right. But sometimes fiddling helps you learn. Mm -hmm. totally. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, get your hands on the game, right? Yes. Yeah, you do. You do. I think, yeah, this game would have played probably better at the table with uh, with people. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say that it was a problem on BGA. It was no. a beta. It's a beta version of the game on BGA. So if you do go there to play it, uh, be, beware of that. You may run mm -hmm. into a couple of little things that need tweaking. Yeah, a couple of times I thought something was bugged, but I think I just messed up myself. So <laughs> I, I think the beta is <laughs> decent on this one. <laughs> um, I'll uh, end with this. Was did did you anyone find the game a little formulaic? In other words. And I bring up Sushi Go as a means of this. When you have these kind of, you know, short games, there's only so many combinations because that's sort of the nature of the short game. You're not going to have endless combinations that go on, go and go on forever. When I'm playing Sushi Go, I, I, I fall. I've now I've played it a lot of times, especially online, and I fall into certain patterns. Do you think the game like this will also eventually kind of whittle down to just a couple of patterns of card plays to to optimize victory? You know, I, I think it will if you play it enough uh, and you play with the same players, right? That's part of the optimization kind of algorithm as well in some ways that if other people are playing the way that they play, you can play the way you want to play and that lends to min-maxing in a way. But if somebody mm. is taking all the things that, you know, say somebody buys all the carrots or takes all the carrots and normally you play with somebody who doesn't take the carrots. Now you can't get the carrots and you're like, well, my, my system is ruined. So, I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so I but, guess the conclusion yeah. is play it with strangers every once in a while just to keep it fresh. Yeah, keep it fresh. <laughs> there are patterns in there, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I think uh, there's, enough, there's enough variance in the cards that you'll find... Uh, a pattern that works for you and it's not the same pattern that works for everybody because mm -hmm. this game abandoned all artichokes is a little bit different in how you have to think um and so I, you know i, I think there's going to be some patterns that suit different play styles better all right it's time to dig up or bury abandon all artichokes ed this is what I would consider a nice, light, filler-style game for myself. It offers enough fun, and then uh, pruning the deck is really fun to like uh, figure out what cards you want to try to get rid of. So I'm going to dig this up for another run through the garden. Mike? I felt kind of bad for the artichokes, but aside from that, it was a fast, fun game that you can teach just about anybody to play, and it had the right little splash of strategy, so I say dig it up. Sen? I really actually quite enjoyed it, uh, more than I thought I would, and I am looking forward to playing it again with my family, so I'm going to say dig this one up. Yeah. I played it as well, Abandon All Artichokes. It's a, what I'm going to call a fun small party style card game, because they do say maximum four players, but I think you can expand it a little bit, maybe go to six players. And it has enough going for it. It's fast and easy to follow, a good entry-level game of drafting and deck building, uh, suitable for all. Dig the veggies up. Dig them up. If you have thoughts on the artichokes, you're going to kick them to the curb or gobble them up. Let us know on which game first on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
All right, folks. So we do have a special guest with us this week. Sen, tell us a little bit more about yourself and the projects that you are involved with. Sure. Uh, my name is Sen Fung Lim. I use he, him pronouns. I am a professor of developmental psychology and a licensed therapist from London, Ontario, Canada. Uh, and I make games. I make lots and lots of yeah. games. Uh, hey, I love games. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, been hitting Kickstarter hard this this year for some reason. Uh, already have three and maybe another one coming up. I don't know. So we've had Jay and I, Jay Cormier and I did uh, My Singing Monsters, uh, which is an app-based, well, it's not an app-based game. It's a game based on an app-based game. Whoa, that's meta. Yeah, it's kind of cool because <laughs> it grows with the players. So it's the game where, you know, if you have a family and you have younger kids, you know, five, six, you can probably play first island with them. And as they get skill at that island, you just add another island until like all five islands are in play. And the reason why we did that is because the app has like, you know, seven million billion followers <laughs> and users. And the demographic is like age four to 14 primarily. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are people who play it who grew up playing it, you know, started when they were four and they're now like 18 or 19. It's been out for quite a while, the, the actual app. And so we're hoping that the game that we designed to grow with people will suit the market uh, pretty well. And so that one finished and funded successfully. That was great. great. And then uh, the next one that we did, Erica Buyaris and I um, co-designed Rat Queens to the Slaughter for Deepwater Games. And that is based on a comic book called Rat Queens uh, by Curtis Weeb. And that is a writer. And Jesse, right, they are the developer on that for us. So there's a whole meeple syrup thing going on there. <laughs> uh, and it's a co-op game that um, is, has you playing the roles of mercenaries, uh, all female, all the time, kicking ass in a <laughs> fantasy world where uh, you're you know, trying to defend a city from getting taken over by the big bad. And so that one just finished a little while ago, and that did really well for us. So we're really happy with that. And awesome. Rat Queens is one of my favorite comics. So I was really honored to be asked to design that game for them. And then currently, like right now, we're in the middle of Avatar Legends on Kickstarter. And um, that is going like gangbusters. So Great. it is currently, I believe, if I don't know if this is true. I, I've never actually looked at the stats, <laughs> but I believe it is the number one RPG funded ever. So wow, really? That's yeah, we're amazing. over we're over four million dollars. So it's nice. <laughs> that is huge for an RPG. That is wow, huge. awesome. That yeah. So that those are the projects that I'm currently working on uh, in terms of like they're they're live and going and on Kickstarter. Uh, we just delivered Mind Management. So Jay Cormier, my my partner, uh, started the imprint Off the Page Games, and that was kickstarted last year, like right when lockdown started. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we just got that one out to most people and it's the the response has been so positive it's been great and just now just before i was talking to you we were working on the app so there's an app for it so you can play solo oh, uh, and that is going to be released i don't know soon hopefully it's <laughs> it's getting there there's a couple more little bugs that we want to iron out and once it's ready to go jay will release that to the crowd and hopefully 
uh, allow a lot more people to play the game when they don't have all their friends around them. So, <laughs> yeah, and that that is based on one of our friends' comics. So uh, Matt Kent is a New York Times bestselling graphic novelist, and uh, Mind Management is one of his comics. So uh, off the page games, Jay has made a little niche where he is just focusing on creator-owned comics, so not DC, not Marvel, more like Image and Dark Horse, and where the creator oh, yeah. of the comic actually owns all the rights to the the IP. So that's who we want to work with in the future. Mm-hmm. And we're getting people actually, based on the strength of the first game, saying, hey, would you like to work with us? Or, hey, we'd like to work with you. So That's awesome when they're coming to you like that. Yeah. Fantastic. And then a lot of other, lots of other stuff, in the works that uh, I can't talk about because it's under NDA <laughs> or that we haven't really announced yet. So there's always something going on. There's like 7 billion RPGs and 20 mm. billion board games and a couple hundred thousand million <laughs> card games. I don't know. There's a lot. I'm, 100,000 I'm million, guys. You hear that? That's yeah, a lot. that's a lot. That's, that's a, a lot of games. Lots of games. Larger number than anyone game. could comprehend. Yeah. Well, we encourage our Which Game First audience to check out all your products, all your projects that you're working on, Sen. It sounds fascinating. You're a busy man, and we appreciate you being here on this show with us this week. Hey, thanks yeah. for having me. Hit up that Kickstarter for Avatar. Yes, mm. yes. Avatar <laughs> Legends. <laughs> all right. Our next game up this week is Oath Chronicles of Empire and Exile, designed by Cole Verley. Published by Leader Games 2021. Number of players 1 to 6, ages 10 and up, playing time 45 to 150 minutes. All right, Mikey G, tell us what's in the box. The cover of the box shows us a Technicolor castle on a Technicolor field where ordinary folks seem to be going about their ordinary business. Oh, and there's a strange and ominous hooded cyclops apparently making some sort of innocent deal with one of the locals. Inside, you'll find, and get ready because there's a lot, the map, 23 sight cards, 198 denizen cards, 5 vision cards, 6 pawns, 36 favor coins, 20 secrets, 94 warbands, 10 attack dice, 6 defense dice, 1 end die, and 8 track markers, 6 double-sided player boards, 20 relic cards, and a grand scepter relic card, imperial reliquary board, the Oathkeeper title plaque, the Banner of the Darkest Secret, the Banner of the People's Favor, four goal references, six edifice cards that are double-sided, and two player aid sheets. Whew, that's what's in the box. Oh, that is a lot. But before we tell you if oaths were kept or if the rulers were usurped, I will give you a very quick overview of how it's played. (laughs) And I'm going to read this from the description from the publisher instead of me actually going into the rules because we'll be here for 12 hours if I try. (laughs) In Oath, players guide the course of history in an ancient land. Players might take the role of agents bolstering the old order or scheme to bring the kingdom to ruin. The consequences of one game will ripple throughout those that follow, changing what resources and actions future players may have at their disposal, and even altering the game's core victory condition. If a player seizes control by courting anarchy and distrust, future players will have to contend with a land overrun by thieves and petty warlords. In a later game, a warlord might attempt to found a dynasty, creating a line of rulers that might last generations, or be crushed by the rise of a terrible arcane cult. 
I have a feeling that's that one-eyed sop Cyclops on the mm-hmm. cover, but uh, maybe <laughs> we'll have to see. In Oath, there are no fancy production tricks or app-assisted mechanisms or production gimmicks. The game can be reset at any time and doesn't require the same play group from one game to the next. A player might use the fully featured solo mode to play several generations during the week and then use that same copy of the game for Saturday night game night with friends. There are no scripted narratives or predetermined endpoints. The history embedded in each copy of Oath will grow to be as unique as the players who helped build it. So this sounds like uh, create your own or design your own adventure kind of, <laughs> yeah. kind of game, which I, which I find really appealing. For, you know how I feel about legacy games. Like I love them, but also the destruction of the game and not being able to play it again from the beginning is tough for me. And it sounds like they've kind of noticed that some people have trouble with that and kind of gave it a legacy taste but without destroying mm-hmm. like the resources that are there i mean a part of me dies when i rip up a card i mean <laughs> <laughs> oh, i know it i've hurts. seen it i've seen the torture in your face edwin when we've played legacy games I it know. is torture for he you. he has a hard time throwing out the used punch boards i mean what do you think <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you, shouldn't, you shouldn't actually throw those out you should put them underneath the insert some games are actually designed that way, yeah. It raises the insert up to the top of the box so that things don't fall out of the insert. All right, all right. That's oh, fair. gosh. <laughs> yeah. hey, don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. <laughs> Relax, Ed. You've destroyed too many of those already. You can't go back now. Oh, no. Some of those games have, have those inserts underneath the lid. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> it's true. You can't really speak about this game, I think, without first commenting on the art, because that is what absolutely hits you in the face and mm-hmm. the components, first and foremost, when you take a look at what's on the box and what's inside. It's Yeah, it's kind of a cool cross between like colorful but not detailed color. It has like a sketch feel, and the colors kind of fade in and out of each other, but they're bold and, and really interesting. I love the art on this. Yeah, if you're familiar with uh, the game Root, it definitely has that same look. It's um, it's by Kyle Farron, and yeah, I just like the rich colors and the you know, the characters are all uniquely different, but yet they're like, like little animal kind of people there, <laughs> and you know, little rabbit bunny kind of waving high. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, but I do I do appreciate the fact that even though there there are like very distinct looking characters. They don't name the characters. They kind of leave some of that role-playing aspect up to the players, you know, to decide how they want to play that different character they have and what they're all about. Yeah, it is neat because they have a world there, obviously, but it's up for you to actually name it all. And it's it's like it's your to build because they give you pieces of, you know, elements, as it were, to build without actually giving you all the lore behind it. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff in this box. Uh, when I opened the box, I was pretty overwhelmed. Uh, and it's it's really, really interesting um, in terms of the design goal is here for Cole and, and Patrick and, and making it a game that you can play a game that has a different sense to it because of what happened before it. So there's a real history to it. And I think that, um, you know, everything in the box... You, you may not use everything in the box every game, but everything in the box is needed to mm-hmm. to perhaps play it out, play the full story of, of each each game that you play. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting in that way. It's one of those games that, you know, you might not see some of the stuff, but this this time you play it, but the next time you see all of the stuff. Um, and so it's wild. <laughs> uh, it's a really, really neat game in, in that respect. And I, I really respect what Leader Games does with their 
asymmetrical gameplay and the style of gamings that they do. So, yeah, thumbs up on all the stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, asymmetry is is a really good way to describe this because I found that people can have parallel goals throughout the game. Like my goal isn't really interfering with what your goal is until it gets to like a critical point. Uh, like the, you know, one of the plaques turns over and then, you know, yeah. it's the person's only one turn away from winning. So now, even though I wasn't going for some kind of warlike strategy, I had to like veer off to stop Evan from just running away and winning the game, even though it was not my track. Usurper! Usurper! <laughs> yeah, it was the usurper, right. <laughs> each player or each fact, I don't know if you want to call it faction or character, but has their own set of victory conditions. I believe each different from the other. Am I right, Ed? Well, I mean, there's one player who's the chancellor, so I was just trying to keep the status quo. You're all like my rule, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, chancellor. Uh, do you rule the most sites? Yep. I'm tied for the most sites. Um, that means nobody's the Oathkeeper. <laughs> Nobody the the Oathkeeper is the final arbiter of these things. <laughs> I say, I'm the Oathkeeper. What? That's how I say, what, what? I wouldn't say it's like in Root where you have like a character who has a fully built strategy that plays differently than everybody else. In this game, you don't really have that. You kind of build it up to that more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And you you can go on one track or the other. Uh, there are just like, like he said before, the Chancellor starts off with like more army presence on the board. But that doesn't necessarily mean they have to pursue that as their end goal to win. They have an oath to keep. So there's there's mm-hmm. one set goal that the main goal overall, and it, it well varies from game to game, but when it's set off, it's the oath of supremacy. Right. Which is the goal is to rule as many lands as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of the, the no, your very first game, that's going to be what the Chancellor wants because that is his oath. Exactly, right. Now, other players could be exiled. That's what all the other players start yeah, off Yeah, all right? of them. <laughs> but they can become a citizen if the Chancellor wants to invite them to join their empire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Tour de France where people want to ride the coattails of somebody in front of them until the last Drafting. second and then pull yeah, ahead. You know, they draft, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because the citizen can still win, even though being with the Oath Keeper gives them some advantages and they kind of come up together in the game, they can pull mm-hmm. ahead at the last second and win. And that's kind of what I thought that victory seemed like. I think it's actually really cool that you can do that, right? That you're like, the Chancellor wants all of that because usually you're kind of working towards a similar goal of that's you know if you're if you're under my wing we're doing we're in this together aren't we right and then <laughs> certain times like well, i'm gonna peel away from the pack and i'm gonna right. do my own thing over here to try to forward my goal uh and mm-hmm. it's, it is really interesting because the goals are intertwined in these weird ways that aren't necessarily really apparent until you're in the mix and you go oh if i do this and then they do this then then they win and I don't and I have stopped them. And it's <laughs> yeah. it's mm-hmm. that kind of game. And I, I really like that about it. There's like so many of those interactions too that you really have to be careful to always be watching for them. And and I got to say, there was like for a, the first time of ever playing this game, I thought there were maybe too many for a first time player to to keep track of. It seemed a little bit steep on the learning curve as far as that was concerned. Yeah, I would agree. I think, though, it's made to the the intent of the game, the design intent is to, hey, play this a bunch of times because that's yeah. what we want you to do. So mm-hmm. 
I mean, playing it through once and losing, and then knowing that you're going to be playing it again and play, playing it again and playing it again, you get to learn those. I think that's yeah. my that's mm-hmm. my take. That's how I like to play games. Anyways, I'm not I'm not <laughs> cult of the new person who always has to play a brand new game every time. I wish we could play a, a game a second time more often. We we do three games a week for, for the podcast, so it's yeah, hard to get back hard. to some of the ones that we really want to. But this is one that I'd like to see a second and third time for sure. I plan to play it again this weekend. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, you are. <laughs> lucky, lucky punk. <laughs> Invite Celeste. Yeah. Um, there is a, there's a ton of rules to this game. Obviously, we can't cover them all here in our short time that we have. But generally speaking, what I thought was interesting is that they're going to walk you through basically the first entire turn for every player, for every for every faction. I mean, step by step, right down to telling you what the dice roll is on that first mm-hmm. yeah. round. What do you think of a game that sort of feels it needs to do that for its players? It's something that he, uh, um, Leader Game do in a couple of their games now. Both Root and I think Vast have done a similar thing where no, they do a walkthrough where, okay, give this to this player, you do this, you do that, this is why you do this, and then and the other person is going to say, well, because that person did this, I'm going to do that because this is my strategy. And it's, it's an interesting way of teaching, but you do lose a little agency. True. I mean, the deck is literally stacked when you play it this way. They have cards <laughs> in between, too. Like, you draw these three cards, and it says, stop, read this card, and then it explains what you did, what's in your hand, and why you did it. So I thought it was definitely a decent learning tool, but like, you know, I agree with Ed that I saw my first set of actions. I'm like, well, I kind of wanted to do that other thing. Like, you know, I already had some (laughs) ideas. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Fog of Love does similar stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. There's definitely games like that have like walkthrough style play to start off. And then they say, okay, now the rest of it's up to you. And, you know, as a game designer, what we tend to do is we'd say, okay, where do we want to start the game? Um, and if everybody's doing the same thing all the time anyways, let's just start there. Uh, like, let's say everybody picks up five resources of various types in their first term anyways. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to attack anybody. Why would we do that? Let's just start everybody with five resources and we'll just say, that's the first. You've done your first turn. Now we're you know one turn in or two turns in. Mm-hmm. And then I think what Leader Games has done in terms of playthroughs and these almost like a teaching strategy guide is to take it that one step back again and use that step to teach the game in terms of setup in terms of play style in terms of because they are widely varied exiles like they're all different right so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have to kind of do that and what I like about how they did it is they, they're using um, what in developmental psychology we would call a, a private speech. The speech that you usually just do to yourself uh, when you're mm-hmm. talking to yourself as a, you know, little kids will say, and then I'm going to put this piece of the puzzle in the corner. Right. Uh, and they're mm-hmm. doing it for you <laughs> and you're reading it out and everybody gets to hear it instead of it just being internalized inside your, your head saying, okay, I'm putting this here and this here because then I get this and this back. Right. They're actually writing it out for you and you can read it or see it or say it and that means you're teaching everybody around the table the strategy at the same time and now people know what to look for people know what this faction does versus what that faction does and i think it's actually a really really good way of doing it does everybody need that probably (laughs) not uh is there a feeling that you've lost agency i mean yeah there is but what happens if you thought about it this way and you thought oh 
this is just really setting us up for the real first turn of the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I think that'd be fine too. Yeah, that makes no, me no, feel it, a little it better is. about it. Yeah. But uh, I did. I did find myself though when they told me what my strategy was and what I was thinking. I and it's just because mostly it's me. But I felt myself rebelling against going that way. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, you're a good exile. I, I am a perfect exile. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I'm glad I was not the oath keeper because I play a much better exile. I tell you what, though, with, <laughs> without that, without those steps, I'm not sure I would have necessarily been able to follow how, say, the discarding works in this game, or how the coins or the uh, tokens move. Yeah, mm-hmm. how the favors go to the bank and then go back right. to the bank and come back out of the bank. <laughs> yeah, the little economy there, neat with the separate little bank for the different um, yeah. icons, mm-hmm. right? Which is unconventional. So. It's good to have uh, a bit of a walkthrough to show show you how those kinds of unconventional mechanisms work. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of unconventional stuff in here, to be honest. Yes, very much. And a part of the learning curve there, too, because they do some things that are just different than you might expect. Mm-hmm. Discard a card. Oh, but you don't discard it into the discard pile that's right next to the, the space you're in. No, mm-hmm. you can put it in the next region. Right. Because it's, it's, it's a way of tossing a card somewhere else. Yeah, there's four areas to discard, right? Yeah, it shakes up the way you you perceive discarding because you've already learned how to do that in hundreds of other games. And suddenly now you're discarding to the top of a different face down deck. That's like, it just felt a little dirty. I'm just not used to it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It is definitely different, right? And I think that's why Mm -hmm. a teaching piece needs to be incorporated so that we're not ruining the game by playing it the way we think it should be played. (laughs) Yes, Mm -hmm. right. Yep. Realize halfway through the game, oh, we weren't doing this correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? Well, let's we'll start it off. Especially with a game like this, it takes so much time to like, it took a long time just to punch it out, right? To set yeah. it up, punch it out, get, you know, X number of players, learn all the rules together. You know, if you mm-hmm. make a mistake, mm-hmm. it's a big letdown. So, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think they're just trying to preserve a good first play experience uh, because mm-hmm. that's, that's Smart. legitimately, uh, well, you know this from mm-hmm. doing this podcast, right? Like, if you don't like a game, you're not going back to it. Yep, There's so many absolutely. other good games to play. Why would you go play a game you didn't like? And so setting up the first experience as a game designer is the key, mm. right? So, so many games have this weird trap about them where it's like, oh, modular this and variants that, and you can add this expansion <laughs> and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But what if all that modularity leads to this confluence of cards and map pieces and tokens that actually makes for a bad experience? Right. Mm-hmm. Then, right. Why don't yeah. we just set it up in the best one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give you the best opening to yeah. where the mo- you're right in the middle of the action when you start. Um, I yeah. I find like this is the opposite of something like a uh, a Martin Wallace game where you're like, oh, I made an early mistake in turn one, and now I'm struggling with debt for the rest of the game, trying to like get myself to even just be even. I like the way the game ends in a way because there's a whole sequence of setting up the game for the next game based on. Who won? What the new oath is going to be? Are the land changing because somebody won? Or it's like, oh, the chancellor didn't want a new exile came in. And then his land shift in. Maybe you know, new buildings get built or get ruined and cars come out of play because they were not used. They were always in the discard pile. And other, well, this one's the most popular suit that was used. So we're going to put more of that suit in the game. And it changes the game each time you play. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to see how this game evolves. And this is why I call it legacy-ish. It's not really <laughs> a legacy game where you're destroying things, but the game continues. The story continues with more plays. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, it's time to dig up or bury Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. Mike? It took me quite a while to get a real feel for what was going on in the game, but when it clicked, it really clicked, and I had a good time with it. So I have to say dig it up. Sen? I'm I'm with Mike. You know, we got to dig this one up again because it is just such a rich story game that I want to see what happens next. I want to see <laughs> who's going to be the next Oathkeeper. I want, it, I want to know that. And to do that, I need to play it again. So dig that up. Ed? Oath has a substantial learning curve. And so it won't be for some players, but the amazing quality of the game, the, the satisfying aesthetic, the story, the excitement of what the next game will be. It's enough that I want to dig it up to see more of this story. Well, I'm right there with you guys. I think Oath is designed for a more advanced board gamer, so you have to know that your company is going to be ready for the commitment to play this. But that said, the game has so much going for it. It's the kind of game where you definitely want to play all the factions and explore all the strategies. Oh, and did we mention the high-quality components and artwork? (laughs) Dig it up. Will you help the Chancellor keep his oath, or will you bring your new vision into the world? Let us know on social media. We are at Which Game First. Our last game up this week is Wonder Woman, Challenge of the Amazons. Wonder Woman. Designed by Prospero Hall. Published by Ravensburger, year 2020. Number of players, 2 to 5. Ages 10 and up. Playing time, 45 to 60 minutes. Mikey G, what do you think is in the box? The cover of the box shows a hardcore, no-nonsense band of Amazons armed with deadly steel and standing ready for battle in their best superhero poses. Inside, we see five hero miniatures, 60 hero cards, five hero mats, one sword of Hephaestus, four blessing tokens, eight relic cards, eight relic tokens, three enemy mats, three enemy movers, 90 enemy cards, one game board, 10 reference cards, 2 tracker tokens, 20 multiplier tokens, and 72 marker cubes. And that's what's in the box. Before we tell you if this game was full of wonder or just plain comical, I will give you a quick overview of how it's played. Wonder Woman Challenge of the Amazons is a cooperative board game where players take on the role of the Amazons, a powerful tribe of warriors who have lived in peace for centuries on the tranquil island of Themyscira. That peace is shattered when their enemies invade. Now it's up to you to defend your home. The enemy has a deck of cards to draw from, which dictates its movements, the creatures it summons, and other actions. Players will be dealt five hero cards, two of them face up, three of them face down, each player. And then they will discuss strategy. Which warrior will chase the enemy down? Which warrior is best suited to collect artifacts and power tokens? The hero cards dictate how far heroes can move, how effective they are in battle, and there are also relics to uncover. After you strategize, program three actions from the five cards you have. Reveal each action one at a time so players can act simultaneously after each action. The goal is to keep up with the enemy to prevent them from wreaking havoc and causing damage to the island. Strike them down with the Sword of Hephaestus, and your challenge will succeed. So a Wonder Woman co-op board game. And the reason we're reviewing this in our third segment, which we normally review for some, shall we say, maybe older games or more eccentric games or... Busted random games that Evan orders online. 
I found this in a thrift store uh, for six dollars. Really? And, and yeah, I know. Uh-huh. I couldn't. Be- I couldn't believe it was there. Not only that, it was. Um, st- I was still packaged. That's six bucks well spent. I know. Absolutely. It, de- it definitely was. Was it like at a liquidator? It was at Goodwill. Oh, wow. interesting. Well, so Goodwill will do that too. So Goodwill will often get like a liquidation lot from a store that couldn't sell it, I and see. then they just. They either get it donated as like a, for whatever purposes, uh, tax, mm-hmm. whatever, and or they pay a very little amount and then they resell it for whatever they can get. Man, I that's, go, that's I go there, I go there on a pretty regular basis to look for old games and, le- you know, maybe less popular games that we can review. So I was, I was surprised to see a game like this there. I just don't usually see these newer kinds of games and certainly mm-hmm. ones that haven't been played before. So we got to unwrap everything. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm somewhat surprised by the game because I knew it was a thrift store find for you. So it's like, oh, a mass market style game that you found in a thrift store. Yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I noticed that the art on the front isn't like, you know, the old potential Wonder Woman art. Like she actually has some muscle structure to her and like, you know, an actual like strong jaw and everything. It's not just a bunch of like, bikini-clad women on the front. So. Right, right. Yeah, some, some of the sexism that sometimes goes into art like this um, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, muted. It, it's not the, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not what yeah. is appealing about, in itself about the game, but it is the fact that it's Wonder Woman and everyone gets to play these Amazons. And, you know, yes, for woman power, frankly, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was very happy to see a game in which you're playing all the heroes are female characters. So maybe we need some more of that, uh, more games like that out there. I thought that was kind of reassuring in its own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good quality for where you got it. And I really loved how you planned your turnout. There was sort of a an understanding that you're only seeing two of the potential five cards that you can play, and you program them like in any like robo, robo rally or any other game like that, is that they go off in turn order. And once you have planned them and start revealing them, that's it. You can't change them around anymore. So it could uh, create quite a problem if you miscalculate somewhere. But it's not super programming in the sense that there's nothing to do if you flip over a card. There's often multiple emblems, as they call them, mm-hmm. on the card. So, you know, if maybe you, when you programmed it, you're planning them to do, like, fight, but maybe instead you're going to, you know, create warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you see what everybody else is doing each turn. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't need to overlap that activity with, with Evan. Uh, I have two points of damage over here. If nice. somebody was going to double me. It worked. I don't have any double. Oh, you were double. I have two I doubled points. Celeste. I have two points of damage as well. So I'm gonna add two warriors to my two points of damage to do one point to him. Nice. Can Dead. I, I can add two warriors to my two points of damage and do another point. Yes. Dead. Boom, boom. Smack that Aries up. You're dying, Aries. Right. You came to the wrong island, son. Girl down, power. Down. That's Girl right. Power. You don't understand. It's the women in charge here. <laughs> what do you got, Aries? What do you got? Bring it. I think they did a really good job, actually, in making it a forgiving programming mm-hmm. game uh, where it's not like, you know, Robo Rally or Colt Express. And if you mess something up, your whole turn <laughs> might as well not have ever happened. Uh, and so this <laughs> one is really intelligently done by the folks at Prospero Hall. And mm-hmm. they did a great job in, and I think tuning it for the audience and making sure that people don't feel particularly put out if what they exactly wanted to do isn't available anymore or is not the best decision that they can kind of you know pivot on the fly and choose a different icon to to 
activate. So yeah, it's a really、yeah. good job of of making something accessible. When you have a an IP like Wonder Woman, which was you know great big movie and、mm-hmm. lots of star、mm-hmm. power, you need a game that sort of fits the audience of that particular、mm-hmm. property. So this is a good one. Yeah, I agree. I did. I never had a turn where I felt like there was nothing I could do because of the cards that I could see. There's always options,、mm-hmm. and especially when you're working in a full cooperative game like this, it's great that people who may be better at games like this too can give you a hand and, and help you to create a strategy with them. Absolutely, it, it's neat that their planning phase is based on limited information. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. That you know, it's two cards down, two cards face up. Th- sorry, three cards down. And you can talk about the cards that are face up. You cannot talk about the cards that are face down. You don't even know what they are yet. I know. Yeah. <laughs> when you're programming、yeah. them, then you do that alone. And then when you are ready to, you know, run through your program, now you're all doing it together again. So there's this really neat kind of flow of information,、mm-hmm. and you know, talking as a group, and then head down and programming, and then let's get back together and go through the motions、uh, of、mm-hmm. enacting what we thought we could do. So I think it's really, really an interesting game in that way as well. The nature of the co-op games is to ha- is to be able to maximize everybody's ability to play. I think as much as possible. In other words, there's no down. There's no downtime. I think in this game, you are active in all phases of the game, and you have a certain interest in what the other players certainly are doing and how they're utilizing their characters and their pe- abilities. One thing about co-op games is that sometimes it can lead to an alpha player, like telling everybody the best thing to do is X, Y, Z. And I think this setup helped because all the information is not out there. Right, and once the person programs it, there's nobody who can tell you what to put down. Our group has a particularly hard time with the silent <laughs> aspect <laughs> of planning. <laughs> We could not shut our mouth.、Uh, yeah, I see somebody calling somebody out there. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I said our group. You know, I, I know, I know. I'm only、that's、letting、true. one person here off the hook, and that's Sen because he wasn't with us. But <laughs> was never really bad. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta watch your table talk, as as they say. You know,、mm-hmm. abide by the rules. You'll have a better experience if you follow them. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> once your cards are laid down face down, you can still you can then start talking about them again.、Right. Like, oh, in the third round, I'm gonna have enough damage to do damage to the boss here. Yeah. Once we're in the action phase. Yep. The game gives you three a choice of three villains to basically work against, and they suggest using Ares as the first one, and you can tell why. It's a pretty straightforward. Villain, in that it's going to run around, it's going to cause some damage. You have to take it down just before it does more damage to the to the island. Straight fo- straightforward. And then you have the other two, which we didn't get to play, but I'm told that they're more nuanced and can do different things.、Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if three is enough though in this kind of game. Maybe there's you know maybe six, eight, or ten would have given it a little would give it a little more longevity. I mean, this game has the opportunity to expand like crazy because. The way the bosses work is that, even though there's the same three types of cubes that can end up on the board, or four types, I guess total, the bosses use them in different ways. So some of them will just be generic warriors. Some of them will be injured Amazons if it's a different boss. You know that that's a really cool way to be familiar with the components and know around what they do, but then have the bosses utilize them to make the game replayable and unique each time.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of want to see where this game goes because I wasn't particularly challenged by that、uh, area. I think we kind of mopped the floor with them. <laughs> well, we we got lucky. I played Artemis, 
she she starts with a piece of like equipment randomly. You get to choose between two. A relic. Uh, we, we call them relics. But I started off with something called the golden armor, and it allowed me to just be in the boss's face every turn. So I knew easily what my job was going to be: keep chopping until he until he hits the dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the idea um, in this one that there's also that you know that sub goal. Well, it's actually it is a primary goal of charging up the sword of Hephaestus. We have to get all mm-hmm. the blessing tokens and put them on the sword. Now mm-hmm. you can deal with the last little hit point mm-hmm. that that enemy has. You know, there's not just one path to getting this victory. You have to manage all the things, still do enough damage to the boss that you can take them down. Once you mm-hmm. have all the blessing tokens on the sword, now you can go and and finish them. So it's it's actually a really, really cool um, and very thematic co-op. Like a little mini quest. Yeah, yeah. there you go, like little side quests. And, and I think that... Um, the idea of programming, I actually dislike a lot of programming games when it's competitive, but I really like programming games when it's co-op because yeah. then you can just laugh at it. It's just, oh, oh hey, <laughs> we, all, we all made the mistake as opposed Darn. to I'm the only one who doesn't get a good turn this turn, right? So. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I felt a little bit to me like pandemic in a way where, you know, mm-hmm. there's a couple people who are really trying to solve the problem of the actual virus and then there's other people running around doing triage all over the board. Mm. Um, maybe different bosses will feel different, but in, in the case where we played, that's exactly what it felt like to me. Okay, it's time to dig up or bury Wonder Woman Challenge of the Amazons. Sen? Well, as you know, I didn't really get a chance to play it. I watched videos. I read the rules. I'm a huge Wonder Woman fan, so I actually don't know why I don't own this game already. <laughs> so I am 100% going to go to the island of Themyscira and have an expedition with an archaeologist and dig this one up. Maybe I, too, can find it at a thrift store for $6. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) If you visit us, we'll play with you. We have a copy here. There you go. Ed? For what could have been a pointless mash market game, I found it to be very cool with a fun and neat programming element and teamwork for the win. Yay! Well, I didn't think it was a lot of challenge in the areas. I'm looking forward to fending the island off from other villains. Ha! So dig it up. Mike? The initial planning phase was a lot of fun, and it added a nice sense of tension for me. I look forward to trying this again to see what other bosses are all about. So I'll say, dig it up. Well, I like the combination of co-op and programming. Everyone plays all the time with a vested interest in the strengths and weaknesses of all the characters. It's like a group of people working on a big puzzle together. Most definitely worth the investment. Dig it up. Are you ready to take the challenge of the Amazon? (laughs) If so, let us know on social media. We are at which game first. And that brings us to the end of our show. Sen, thank you so much for joining us this week. Well, thanks for having me. And for you at home, we look forward to hearing about all the game exploring that you've done. If you would like more perks on content from our show, including exclusive episodes of our special podcast, Bonus Points! Bonus Points! For just $3 a month, become a patron of ours. Go to our website, Which Game First, and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get the chance to leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcaster, it really helps others find the show. So please give us a review. And join the chat on our Discord. The server is Which Game First. Our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels, and you can follow us on your favorite social media site, Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel. Happy gaming, explorers! So, you shall take my oath and become a citizen?
I'm out of here on my invisible jet.